So we'd like to get started in a few seconds here. We'll get started. <laughs> so uh, we're on Madison City Channel uh, tonight. Just wanted my colleagues to, to know that at the outset. So we'd like to uh, welcome uh, the trans principal transportation planner for the city's planning division, David Trowbridge, uh, tonight for a briefing uh, to the city council of Madison in Motion, um, Madison's multimodal transportation plan. I think we all know that that uh, resolution adopting the plan is on the council agenda tonight for introduction. It will be referred to a myriad of city commissions, committees, and boards. Uh, I also just want two housekeeping items. Madison City Channel, uh, who again is filming us as we speak, will be controlling the microphones tonight, so just press your button when you have questions of Dave. And uh, apologies in advance, those of us that serve on the Board of Estimates will need to take leave in 30 minutes for a special meeting downstairs. So if you see a bunch of us walk out, don't be offended. We have to get to another meeting. With that, thank you again for being with us, Dave. It's all yours. Good. Thank you for having me. So Madison in Motion has been a multi-year planning process. Many of you have been involved in, uh, as well as the community. Um, we are at a point now where we've got recommendations and, and definitely want to have a broader community discussion at this time. I like showing this image of uh, the thinking back in the 50s. This isn't just Madison uh, making a plan for a freeway right to the center of its city. Many cities, most cities, in fact, did exactly this and are uh, regretting that, I would say, in many cases, tearing them out. Um, and imagine if we would have done this, uh, would have had a detrimental effect on all of the Isthmus neighborhoods, not just where the corridor it went through, but two and three blocks from that, you could imagine what that would have been like. But since we didn't do that, I think it became clear that we were making a conscious decision that we're going to have to find other ways to move people and, and goods in our city, investing heavily in transit and bicycling. And uh, we've been doing just that over the last couple of decades. I think we have much to be proud of in terms of our transit investment, metro ridership, and, and service levels are, uh, are comparable to cities many times our size and population, and our bike facilities as well. We've been rated by uh, League of American Bicyclists as a platinum city, one of only a, a handful, but that's not to say there are still challenges in our transportation system. We need to continue to work and improve um, uh, transit and, and bicycling and walking uh, for all people so that we all benefit from, from that system. So as was indicated in the resolution creating Madison in Motion, we want to make Madison more walkable, bikeable, and transit-oriented, and the hope is that this plan will be used is a guide to help implementing individual projects. So the plan includes uh, a number of things, a very wide array of, of recommendations, policies. It has maps that show long-term networks and routes uh, for us to move forward with, particularly on the bike and the transit side. Uh, the plan has a lot of facility best practices, so what, is an, what types of improvements are innovative and are emerging to help make walking, biking, and transit use uh, a better choice. And then the plan also has a lot of recommendations for follow-up planning and more refinement uh, as we, we move forward, forward over time. We've had a lot of uh, public outreach. I won't read through all of this, but we definitely have um, reached out to the community and, and had a particular interest in, in getting a broad range of perspectives because everybody uses transportation. Everybody relies on the transportation system in a different way, and we wanted to really hear from uh, from people. Some of the major themes, again, I won't go through this, but land use planning is important uh, to us as well as all the individual transportation modes that 
that uh, we are addressing in this plan. So I'll go through these rather quickly uh, to give you some time for questions. Uh, we are growing in Madison and Dane County. The city grows at about 25,000 people per decade, which isn't you know, West Coast.com city type growth, but it is, it is moderate. It is important that we, we're very mindful of how we grow and how our transportation system helps, helps create the urban form that we want to have and preserves our neighborhoods as well. That's memorialized in our neighborhood planning and our neighborhood development planning processes here in the city. Yes, if you'd like. So I'm curious, and, and maybe you'll get to it later in your presentation, but when you talk about growth assumptions, I mean, one of the things we know from work on demographics done by CCLC subcommittee, I think, a couple of years ago, led by former Alder Resnick, is that the um, largest growing sector in Madison are um, seniors. And so, you know, I, we're doing lots for cycling and lots for things that many of us enjoy and like to do. But I'm curious on how this report and how the committee ended up um, settling on our largest growing demographic. Yeah, in a, a number of ways, and I'll touch on those. In, in, I guess the short answer is in two ways. Looking at our land use and the way we build out our cities, giving opportunities for seniors to live close to the activities that they want to take advantage of. And secondly, if they do want to go beyond a walkable distance, providing good transit options for them as well. Thank you. Um, so I just want to show this, this regional map about how we're looking at growth in the city and the region. We have areas that are stable, that we don't anticipate a lot of change, those being our parks. Agricultural resources are very important to Dane County and Madison um, and our identity. And also, uh, when you layer in the low-density residential neighborhoods that we have, low and medium density, we aren't looking at wholesale changes in these areas either. So that leaves in the purple, uh, and again, this isn't, these aren't all complete redevelopment areas, but there's very, very few areas that we have really targeted for our future growth uh, in, in the city. And that includes infill development like you see in the orange and, and red and blue, but also in the green, which are the newly developing neighborhood development plans. So we uh, have very limited area where we do plan to develop, and we need to think about how transportation fits that. Activity center planning, uh, another word for that is transit-oriented development. Uh, this is really an underpinning of all of our planning division's principles and the way we plan to grow. The scale could be anything from the Cap East district that we see happening up and down East Wash or, or something uh, of a more manageable scale in terms of uh, what's acceptable to the neighborhood around it in the context that we're talking about. But the idea is to mix transportation options in a dense environment uh, and to give people that choice. Here's a, a sketch that we drew up of Westgate and how that could look uh, much more dense than it is now. This is a, indicating a little transit turnaround here uh, in, the, in the middle, um, where, again, transit would be central and integral to the, to the development in these, these locations. So there's lots of places throughout the city where we think we can achieve um, good planning and, and integrated transportation. I wanted to show this is how we make mode choices right now for just work trips. Six out of ten are driving by yourself. Um, in the city, eight, nine percent transit usage is actually pretty good uh, for a city our size. And uh, biking and walking, this is mixed together on this image, but uh, biking is about nine percent. So uh, we do fairly well citywide, but the important thing to keep in mind is that if you look at individual census tracts where you have 
more favorable conditions for biking and transit use, people are making that choice more and more. You see anywhere from up to 20% bicycling in these near neighborhoods where you have short distance trips and you have very good bike facilities like the Southwest Path, like the Capital City uh, Bike Trail. So people are making these choices and we want to try to replicate these conditions throughout the city so more people will be inclined to make these choices. And also public transit, uh, same thing. Similarly, you see within the transfer points in the near-end neighborhoods, you've got anywhere from 20 to 30 percent transit use. Uh, that's a very, uh, very good number and I think it reflects uh, the good transit service that we have. It's very frequent. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive. Parking costs a lot for uh, trips, particularly in the Central Business District and the University campus. So uh, we think that we have hope for uh, creating better conditions throughout the city. And here's just a map showing in, in these different colors where we think we can do more activity center planning, and the plan does call for, for more of that. Bus rapid transit, uh, most of you know what this is. It's high capacity buses. Um, and uh, other amenities like nice stations. I wanted to show this map because what we're finding during our outreach, and part of our outreach has just been going out to the bus transfer points and hanging around and, and talking to people because if they're at a transfer point, they're, tra they're transferring. And you get a, a different type of person who's, uh, who, who's more dependent on transit, and what we're finding is that people uh, of color and low income are transferring two in, in more time, one and two times, uh, to get to their destinations um, and oftentimes transit isn't even offered during the time that they need to be to work and they're taking cabs which I think is a very serious problem and hoping that we, need, we can address that with our transit system but what we do hear from them time and time again is that the current bus system uh, as good as it is here it takes too long to get where they need to get to uh, when you add up the transfer time and, and the hours of operations so uh, we definitely need to address this we think bus rapid transit will be helpful in that in that it offers very frequent service and very fast service, uh, reducing travel time by as much as 50% if you're on that, that system. Collecting fares off board, meaning the doors open, everybody piles on, everybody piles off, you don't have to go one by one. That saves more time than, than anything on the current metro experience. So we think BRT has some real promise in improving people's travel times who are dependent on, on transit. Here are the four routes that uh, early feasibility studies have looked at. I'm very thankful that the council and, and the mayor have included funds in the capital budget to actually move a project forward, not just building the maintenance facility, which is sorely needed, but also to build some parts of this uh, system. Certainly we can't build the entire uh, system with the amount that's budgeted, but we're going to have a very robust community discussion, I think, in 2017 and 18 as to which segments go first. Uh, and how local bus service is affected by that. So that's, that's a strong recommendation in this plan. And again, as I showed, you know, there's other, there's neighborhoods throughout the city that don't, don't have service right directly on the BRT line and we need to find uh, innovative ways to get them to that service. Park and ride, uh, for people who do own cars, again, you can see the BRT routes and there are locations where um, we think people will, will use transit if they can shorten up their trip. It might be a very efficient way for them uh, to get to access the BRT service. People are doing it now. They're parking in these neighborhoods uh, all the time because they're taking advantage of frequent transit service to avoid high parking costs mainly. So um, we think park and ride should be studied and, and a robust system plan should be developed for that. 
bicycle system, very important uh, to our community. We spend a lot of effort looking at new neighborhoods in newly developing areas. These are basically cornfields now. Um, these are recommended off-street bike facilities, so essentially paths, off-street paths. And we think that this plan will, will be a nice guide so that when de developers are building these neighborhoods, they will actually construct these bike paths at the time of development, just like they're doing with the roads and the sidewalks in these areas. It's part of the public infrastructure, uh, but it's very, very difficult to go in and punch a path in after the fact when the neighbors have already, have, have already settled in that area. So uh, spend a lot of time doing that and also trying to show not just the paths, but also the on-street facilities. It's a very dense map because we have a lot of facilities in our, our community. Um, you can see how all the routes fit together and where gaps exist. So that's a, a major effort is to try to identify where the gaps are and to try to fill those. So best practices, uh, we're seeing this more and more, different kinds of pavement markings that give bicycles more prominence and more visibility in the street right of way. Um, this is what's called a buffered bike lane in my uh, neighborhood in Cottage Grove Road. They just went in and resurfaced that facility and they had a little bit of extra right of way. So now they've got a little space, a little bit of a buffer for the cyclists to use this and, and feel a little bit more comfort if the vehicle is a little bit further away. Um, a lot of people in this community are calling for, for the next level, which is called a protected bike lane. So it's a buffer, yes, but it's a physical buffer, like you see on University Avenue through campus. We don't have many of these. Uh, these are images from other, other communities. It doesn't have to be a concrete raised barrier. You could have these, these uh, removable bollards. They're not very attractive. Uh, they probably get run over all the time, but um, they do give a little bit of a physical separation that, that might give people uh, a bit of extra comfort and be able to help us tap into a market of people that might, might not be willing to ride in, in a very high uh, traffic arterial roadway. Park and bike, we want to reference that there are opportunities for people again who want to, who want to ride their bike but maybe don't want to ride 10 miles. They might live in the periphery, but uh, I think people are actually parking down uh, near Olin and, and riding their bike up the path, again, to get to downtown uh, destinations. Um, we spend a lot of effort looking at major roadway barriers like the Beltline, the Interstate, Stoughton Road. These create a natural barrier for, for bike and pedestrian connectivity, not to mention street connectivity. And we've identified many, many locations where we think there could be an improved crossing for bikes and peds at a minimum, and in some cases, um, public streets. One that we've talked about uh, a little bit uh, in more detail is Perry Street, where you have a lot of uh, low-income residences and you have a lot of jobs down here. It'd be a really nice connection to try to get across there. And so what we, we're hopeful is that we can use this as a resource when the Department of Transportation is studying these corridors, which they are now, um, and help um, help build some, some partnerships with them so that they can build these crossings at the time that they reconstruct the roadway. And they're doing that more and more, um, at least in the last couple of decades, they've, they've changed their way of looking at this. As, uh, from their own selfish standpoint, it helps their system work better if you have other ways for people to get across the facility. These are the types of things we're talking about. Kind of expensive uh, improvements here with uh, with a major re uh, roadway reconstruct, but again, very important to our community and our ability to get back and forth across these barriers. Pedestrian networks gotten a lot of attention lately. Uh, point to many neighborhoods like Alder Aaron's neighborhood. There's lots of uh, streets that do not have sidewalks. They were brought into the city from 
uh, town of Blooming Grove over time, and there will be more coming in as we annex other parts of, the, uh, of uh, townships. Many missing sidewalks in the city of Madison, and it is our policy to have sidewalks installed in new development and existing developments. So this plan recommends continuing that policy, uh, but also trying to at least look at prioritizing streets that are more important as, as neighborhood connectors, connecting to, to schools, connecting to, to neighborhood services and, and the like. Those are what we're calling Tier 1 facilities. And you can see these are it's much lesser, a uh, smaller list, uh, but still tries to highlight those um, as part of our, our sidewalk recommendations. Best practices, we're doing this all the time as part of our, our reconstructions, narrowing up crossings for people, um, putting these signs up. I think there's slowly the culture is changing. You're seeing people stop. They're not all doing it, of course, but uh, more and more you're seeing people uh, paying attention to this, and I think it's a really improvement, particularly in Marquette neighborhood where I'm, uh, I travel a lot. Um, these ped countdowns are are uh, a nice addition, I think. So these are relatively minor improvements, but they make a big difference in totality. If you're a pedestrian, you feel more safe in, in some of these contexts. So uh, we hope to continue to build on these best practices. Um, other types of improvements, I won't go through all of these. Here's one that we just put in on Cottage Grove Road as well, the pedestrian flashers, the yellow lights, uh, that hopefully give, um, give warning to drivers that they need to yield to pedestrians. On the street and roadway side of things, um, we've developed street cross-sections that we, we are hopeful will be used by city engineering um, to help provide, provide options for all mode users. You see this is a collector street where you have a bike lane continuously on both sides, but you only have parking for part of the block. So what that does is actually you have parking on this side here and parking on this side. It effectively narrows the, the visual streetscape that the driver sees and hopefully will provide uh, provide less ability for them to speed or less a lower level of comfort for them to speed. Another one is the buffered bike lane like I showed on Cottage Grove Road. This would be a three-foot buffer to provide some protection. And then again, the highest level of protection would be here where you have a separated cycle track where the bicycle facility actually gets up right next to the sidewalk and uh, is out of the traffic stream and then it returns back into the, uh, to, to the traffic stream when you get to the intersection in order to provide the visibility that's, that's needed for safe, uh, uh, safe mobility for the bikes. Those are just a few. Transportation demand management, I want to mention this is an important piece of helping to incentivize or disincentivize certain travel behavior using pricing um, and other strategies, uh, convenience-oriented strategies that make transit and, and biking and walking more amenable. So we have recommendations to do a TDM plan uh, throughout the city and maybe look at ways that we can organize businesses differently to help administer these like, uh, like the university does. It has a very good program that um, is, a, is a TMA the way I look at it, the way it operates. And I think the Cap East District or the UW Research Park could also be an example of a, a transportation management association. So what do we do next? We, uh, we want to track performance goals. Some of the members of our oversight committee for Madison and Motion said, well, we're going to make all these investments. How do we know if we're succeeding in, in changing people's choice? So what we wanted to do was to divide up the city into zones and have different goals based on the conditions that we find there and see if the, the investments that we're making are taking hold and actually affecting people's choice. So we're starting that process now. Um, we just 
just started the National Household Travel Survey in the city of Madison. We've had very good response so far, about 700 people, 450 households. We're very encouraged by that, and that will send, set a baseline for uh, future surveys in, in order to track how we're doing over time. And then, of course, developing projects and planning activities to move forward. That is the next step, as, as the council is doing and has just done with uh, the BRT example I gave as part of the capital budget. Um, hopefully, Madison and Motion will be used as a resource to help, um, help guide uh, the planning and the project decisions that you make uh, on the council. And then finally, I'll just close with technology, how that's changing the way we think about everything in terms of car sharing, bike sharing. Uh, it's all becoming so much more easier and um, much less costly, and, and we're going to want to monitor this over time. Driverless vehicles uh, really kind of blows your mind what, what that will do to, to our community and how it is, how it is deployed and, and, and rolled into society is yet to be seen. I think uh, there's a lot of optimism that it's going to happen faster than it really is. Um, but still, we need to be ready for it, and we need to make sure that we create an urban environment that the driverless vehicle adapts to us, not we adapt to it. I think that's we still want to have places that are walkable and bikeable and, and places that people want to live in and to be at. So anyway, we're watching very closely what's happening with technologies and um, implementing small pilot projects to test them out over time we think is the wise course of action. So I've talked a mile a minute here. I apologize for that. We do have about 10 minutes for questions if anybody has something they'd like to talk about. I'll go. Oh, I guess I can go. Yeah. I'm on. Um, so, Dave, one question I have is on car sharing. That's something that I've talked to you about in the past, and I've certainly um, brought up in other meetings. And the reason is because um, many of our neighborhoods that you spoke of where um, folks are taking more than one transfer to get somewhere and also the um, uh, amount of routes are limited and weekends are limited. And so I don't know if it's something that would be um, adopted or accepted. I have no idea what the cost would be to do car sharing, but I was wondering if you, I see it as those next steps, but I wonder if there's any work that's been done on this already. And, and is this, these next steps, are they in order that you're going to take them up? or Because I'd, I'd like to see some work done on that. No, we have had conversations with Car2Go. They are a car sharing company, and um, they, they, I think state law w was an issue that, that prohibited them from having a, a deployment quickly here, but we want them to keep trying. I think state law can be changed, and the benefits of car sharing are, I think, many. There's a lot of issues with where do you park these things, and are you taking parking revenue, and, and, and things like that that need to be worked through, but these aren't. These aren't issues that haven't been solved by other communities that have a, a more robust car-sharing program. So uh, just to ask that other question, no, the, none of these are in any sort of priority order. Okay. And if there, is, if there are certain areas that you'd like to focus on, I, I definitely would like to hear that. Yeah, the reason I bring it up, when we were fortunate enough, um, three elders actually went to Freiburg and Strasbourg. And I'm not sure if what you have down there for car-sharing is, is this car-sharing, but... Um, 
you know, people were just able to do it, like with their smartphone or whatever. I mean, they were already pre-registered, and then um, get keys by by the car unlocking, and then they did. I mean, there was a charge for it. You know, it wasn't free or anything, but it was just so flexible because you don't know when your kid needs to go to the doctor or the girl. You know, I mean, you just don't know, and you can't depend on Metro to be there all the time. So I just think that that could be huge for some of our neighborhoods to have that access. So thank you. Yes, and I'd, I'd like to see work done on it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh so you mentioned that survey. Is that something that we promoted and we should continue to promote, or how, did, how are you doing outreach? No, it's a, it's a random sample, okay, and, yeah. and that was it's handled through the UW Survey Center. They're they're helping us through that. We've distributed some copies to members of the Long Range Transportation Planning Committee, or if any alders are interested, I've got some extra copies. It's uh, it's really kind of interesting. You, you just take a day in your life, and how do you and other people in your household? get around every single trip you make whether it's to lunch whether it's to go take a walk whether it's to drop your kid off to sports um, and you track that very carefully and it's actually very interesting to, to to go through the exercise it takes kind of a little bit of time but um, it's very helpful to us so if anyone on the council is interested please email me and I'll be sure to get you a copy the survey period is still open and um, you'd be very helpful to us and my second question is I was struck by the the concept of the arterial cycle track, uh -huh. and you know I, I I represent arterial streets and I think about them a lot, and the thing that would really struck me that to get to that is to change our setbacks, and create them more setbacks from the building to this, so that you can make room to have a, a dedicated lane, and I think that would make some streets much more. Um, breathable and walkable and livable even if there were now a bike path there but just yeah. so that's something that a zoning change would be involved mm. yeah and you know there's there's certain areas where this will work better than others where you don't have a lot of conflicts a lot of driveways are are not very good you got to have good visibility for the cycles because they're moving at a, a speed that sometimes drivers aren't expecting in up in the sidewalk in the terrace area so uh, we definitely think there's promise for it and provides a very high level of protection for the cyclist, but um, there will be some work to, to do to get that done. Thank you. Thanks. Dave? Yes. Um, it was my understanding that the uh, state law had changed to allow cars to go, um, so maybe if you could check into that and just validate that, I would appreciate that. Yep, I will. Okay. And it may have changed. If you were talking about doing that when we were working with car to go and they may, may be yeah. interested in coming yeah. back. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. As one of the few elders that I think has actually been on this committee since, uh, since the beginning, um, and still is on today. I just, um, I really want to thank you for all the hard work that you and your team put into pulling this off. This is a big, ambitious uh, uh, endeavor to try to plan out transportation for several years and to engage the public, and you guys have done a, um, a noteworthy job in engaging the public and keeping the council abreast of this. So I thank you for that. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I also want to, I guess, just acknowledge how um, – sort of brave it is to be making a plan like this that uh, that is 
taking the time to look at transportation in the sort of 5, 20, 30 year time frame. Um, I remember when we first started talking about this two years ago, we were asking um, planning and streets and for that matter DOT, you know, is driverless car going to be a real thing? Is that going to impact us? And, you know, the, the wise feedback that I got was <coughs> Maybe, but we have a lot of other things to think about besides just driverless cars. Um, and as a uh, as someone who's attracted to um, innovation and technology, it's been something that's been top of mind for me as an element to this. And um, uh, I, I I just think it's worth acknowledging. I was in a for my colleagues who are sort of keeping us in their periphery, this idea of how will the future of transportation impact the future of cities. I was in a meeting of maybe 70 elected officials last week, um, and we were talking about um, <clears throat> we were talking about the future of transportation. Two of them had taken a driverless car to the airport to get to that meeting. Um, this is in Pittsburgh and Mountain View. So this is not at all a theoretical maybe in the future type of thing. Two of them had taken a driverless taxi ride to the airport to get to the meeting that we were at. So um, it's going to move. It's you know it's not going to um, take over. It takes a long time for you know a life cycle of automobiles to fully change. But um, this is past theoretical. You know I think it's smart for our city to be thinking about how we're going to continue to to leverage the, the great bicycle infrastructure we've built, the great public transport infrastructure we've built, and be really mindful as to whether or not we want to lean in or um, uh, maybe hold a stiff arm to this idea of uh, cars driving themselves. So anyway, thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I also uh, appreciate during the, your presentation, um, you said that, that the next steps were not prioritized in any particular order, but I really was appreciative of you recognizing the barriers and the challenges that um, marginalized individuals face, you know, uh, trying to move around the city. And so I would hope that that stays on your main focus and that rises to the top because that's a, that is a population that definitely will be look, you should be looking at how they're moving across the city getting from point A to point B. Yes, thank you for that. And, you know, I didn't talk much about it. I talked about BRT being one piece of it, but a lot of these people use the YWCA job ride program, which is just terrific. If we could expand that, triple it, quadruple it, the waiting list is very long for that, but it's very affordable and it's a very effective service for people who are outside that range of really good service. Met time and time again with Dane County Job uh, Training Coalition at the Job Center, and the stories that came back were, were just that. You know, we, we wish we could have more of that type of service to help fill the gap that Metro isn't able to, for very real reasons, funding and, and, and other real reasons, uh, to be able to, to help, help meet. 
So as a follow-up, um, thank you very much. And so in your presentation, could you include that in your next steps? Because that was very valid, something that's working, something that can be expanded, and a, a need to support that. And so as you make these presentations and carry these forward, speak about those things that are absolutely working. And if we could um, support it more and expand it, you know, that would absolutely fit in where we're going in the future. So I appreciate that after speak. I will. Apparently there are no further questions then. Seeing none, thank you again very much, Dave. We thank appreciate you. your presentation and I know many of us will see you early and often at the myriad of city committees that the uh, resolution and accompanying report will be traveling to over the next couple months. Thanks again. Bye-bye.